National Association for the Visual Arts is the peak body protecting and promoting the professional interests of the Australian visual arts. Nava in Conversation is a series exploring the issues and challenges of working in the sector. We speak with artists, curators and administrators to gain insight into the experiences of contemporary practice and seek to propose ideas for change, progress and resilience in both local and global contexts. I'm the Executive Director of NAVA. And I'm Penelope Benton, the General Manager of NAVA. We are sitting here about to have a nice big conversation with Chris Fox about public art. Hi Chris and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's, it's really timely to talk to you about this, um, partly because um, there's been so much uh, great but also awed feedback and response to the big work at Wynyard. Um, I've had the great pleasure of enjoying your work convergence at the Global Switch Building in Paris oh, wow. as well. Okay. Um, and I guess, you know, there's that question of um, work at scale, uh, work that is public, um, the, all the complication of working in the public space, making work for public space, public space that we think is public space but is actually private space, and then all the complex things that artists negotiate when, um, when getting commissioned, when working on a project. So let's talk about all those things in relation to your practice, but first of all, um, question for both of you, because I think it's a really good one, a big one, why is public art important? Uh, well, I think it's really important for um, not only is in the case of you know, living in Sydney, the fabric of the city, I think it sort of it clearly plays a sort of important cultural role in terms of identity of a city, but it also has an opportunity to sort of provide a, not only different layers of understanding of the city, but also potential, um, you know, otherworldly moments or people are able to get out of there every day. I think there's really important dialogue that can happen around art and I think for public domain projects that provides different sort of connections where people are passing in there every day and uh, coming upon the work versus it being in an institution or a gallery context or other contexts. I think public domain work has a really important role because it uh, is within people's um, other domains that they're not used to seeing visual arts projects. So I think that as a standalone I think is a crucial part of why public art is essential in terms of um, the way in which we live and predominantly in an urban environment is where you generally see it but um, that can span into other rural contexts and all sorts of different contexts. Mm. I think that question of encounter is really fascinating. It is, it is. I completely agree. I think it's really important. I mean, public work in the public space makes art accessible to every everyday people and I um, become reminded of that every morning when I go through King's Cross and past the fountain on yeah. the way here and yeah. um, it makes me smile every day and I, I think that uh, the number of films and TV that that piece has been shown in and um, the amount of dialogue that's come out of your recent work at Wynyard um, is is testament to the way um, that type of work can really engage people in a way that they don't engage with art when it is in a gallery or 
we're in a war. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Really and often in really high trafficked spaces. Um, like this like one. <laughs> <laughs> The window is wide open here in the Nava office and it's a lovely sunny day. Um, in really high traffic spaces like in a, a, a train station, um, there are all sorts of things that are often there to capture people's attention. It's just that often those things are about advertising, they're about trying to sell someone something and it's a natural thing to want to sort of capture the attention of people who are who are passing by but we can be so uh, turned off I guess by something that wants to capture our attention because we tend to have those other those other assumptions in the public space. Yeah that's right and I think there's so much more distraction in uh, contemporary life with devices and the way in which we're sort of uh, almost compressed into these different pathways to get to work or whatever it is that you know the urban life become has become pretty compressed in terms of our free time or free thinking or uh, openness to things and I think it's nice to get some wedges in there that sort of crack that open a little bit. I like that the work of art as a as a wedge, yeah, and as a as a spur or something that just you know you snag on, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it might trip your heel. It might <laughs> you know that, like that glint in your eye. It might loom over your head like yeah, yeah, your yeah. work does in in, in Wynyard. Yeah. Let's talk about that. So um, this was an opportunity that came to you at a particularly interesting time. Yeah, it did. So it was. I got a call on. Um, uh, Christmas Eve and uh, we just had a baby about a month prior to that and so uh, got a call about a project saying oh look what have you got on at the moment and I said oh look I'm pretty busy I've just had a kid I'm not sleeping much <laughs> I said oh no I won't worry about uh, letting you no no I said oh no it's fine i got heaps of time um, and in the end it became a potential to work with the old escalator um, from York Street escalators at Winyon and the project basically was to use those in some way to make an artwork and I think from that moment getting that initial call about um, working with that material or that sort of scale and knowing that space quite well I could sort of already imagine this sort of spinning or floating or um, sort of whipping stare above people for some reason I could almost see it from that moment. There's lots of amazing. hand gestures in here, it's quite nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I practice those very carefully. Um, well, that's that special thing when you know, you're having that, or the conversation, you visit upon you, and you can already start to see a work. I yeah. From then on, it was like, well, this is going to happen. Like, yeah, this is I, going to happen. Well, I suppose so. I mean, yeah, maybe it's about that. That really doesn't happen all the time. And, you know, after making work for sort of over 20 years, often projects have you have to really labor at and you know, iterations upon iterations to try and understand how how the project can start to formalise or materials can be worked with. But um, even though the project changed in form slightly and and the way the materials were applied and how the fabrication ended up happening, all that sort of changed quite dramatically through the process. But I think uh, there was a really lovely flow for me or creative flow for this particular project, which meant that those decisions that were um, quite intuitive. Um, and I think that's a combination of uh, just a really lovely synchronicity with that particular project, which, as I said, doesn't really always happen. And um, perhaps there's something with the lightness of the work in terms of its uh, sort of flamboyance, but its sort of otherworldly quality or something 
perhaps comes back to that process for me sometimes because I find that if work has that sort of looseness in process it seems to somehow be in the material or in the outcome or the actualizing of it so yeah that's a that's a that's a separate point to the to the process as a whole but I do think it's a combination of that mixed with the relationships that I was working with and who was supporting me and how that whole thing eventuated. Let's come back first to both otherworldly and flow because okay. I'm, I'm intrigued by both of those things because you yeah. mentioned that um, at the outset so talking about what public art does and having that that other kind of experience that there's this you know you're in your day-to-day and then there is this moment that happens and you encounter this work and it gives that sense that something else is possible that 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 uh, this space means more than one thing to people it's not just this this you know this transit kind of mm. thoroughfare and I think that's that that is fascinating particularly around the, the materials for that um, for that particular I mean there was such an uproar when it was time for the wooden escalators to be retired I remember when the ones in which department store had them David Jones yeah. uh, it was time for those to retire there was just such a mm. and, and I mean really there were still escalators for people but having that experience where your feet were touching wood and not just wood but wood that was obviously handcrafted mm-hmm. and laid down with great care and that was something that was part of your day to day the 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 grain of the wood, the fact that each stair, each you know stripe on the stair looked different, yeah. uh, would 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 wear differently, yes. and then again that otherworldly sense of um, you step on it, and then it just sort of vanishes away somewhere, yeah. and you don't necessarily have that sense that in fact the structure contained there is t- more than twice the size yes. of what you're seeing at any one time, and yet you brought that otherworldliness into the work and then created this yeah this this sense of wonder around something that is just an everyday object yeah i mean i think it's uh escalators are as you said a really like quite uh, magical quality to them you know that they are this sort of um quite particular technology and i think when these first escalators in early 30s opened at Wynyard. Um, you know, people would go to the city to go onto the moving stairs as this sort of excursion, and school groups would come to uh, this particular site, and and others that were started to um, be installed throughout the city. And I think there's always been a quite an interesting fascination with them. But I think for this particular project for Wynyard, um, like you said, there was such a um, uproar when. Each of them have been removed from firstly David Jones and then um, Town Hall and then finally Wynyard. Uh, and there was such an incredible um, connection and affinity for the city of Sydney and, and all people who had seen or travelled on these that they really felt that, that it was a part of their city or almost as though that the material itself, uh, they had some sort of ownership over it. So I think I didn't really... Um, anticipate that there would be that much connection I knew that there was obviously it was a very loaded material but when the thing opened there was such wonderful responses so heartfelt around their family member or them themselves working on the escalators or even just their grandparents who would go there and tell those stories of when it first opened the moving stairs but there was a sense that um, it was part of their city and that the they had a direct connection to the material and that that 
was already embedded when they viewed the work. So I think for me of making sculpture and working with material for so long, I've never had that moment where people already come to your artwork loving the material that you work with, almost to a point where they have part ownership over it. Like they might have a connection to material of steel or whatever the particular material that you're working with and say, oh, I really like work the bronze or the copper or whatever it is. But this is like the, the actual material they had is something that they almost felt was part of their life story or something. That's crazy. Mm. Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. I've also picked that up in the response, like that that love. Um, and I'm, I'm going to come back to flow and process because I think yeah. that is a deeply interesting thing to talk about. But Penelope, people don't always love public art, no. do they? No, There's they often don't. quite a quite a strong and almost kind of yeah visceral mm. response to it. Yeah, there's almost a, a weekly Telegraph article about hating public art, and they bring bring out all the old stories yeah. on a regular basis, which um, yeah is is very disappointing, um, and I, I guess such an easy target um, to talk about when people are um, complaining about what government decide to do with public money. Mm. Um, yeah, which is why classic examples like this one are so important to really change perception of what, yeah. what public art can be. Yeah, I mean, that's right. Particularly because of all the countless comments and in uh, like feedback and uh, just, you know, it's a crazy sort of... Uh, response to it there really has not been a discussion around funding and money mm, and no. and taxpayers money and all the, that general dialogue which i think uh is such a pity because actually when you really look at it in terms of um percentages of budgets of things it's so always so small compared mm. to the overall project or whatever the development might be or yeah. the public domain development that um and there's a potential for that to be such an important opener like we talked about with the wedge or the sort of spur or spur or something that is enabling a different way of traversing that public space. That what's what was so great about that in terms of the greater discussion around public domain and, and public artwork um, was that that is something that is seen with such value, and there's some great examples of that around the world, and it's great to see that it's sort of position that it's like oh right that actually. Is, has real value, not just in a monetary sense, but in a cultural sense and identity yeah. and all of those things for transport and then city of Sydney and on, onwards, you know. And yet those questions of culture and identity are in the current political climate seen as being risky things to introduce yeah. into a public space and let people, you know, have that conversation, do that thinking um, for themselves. I mean, I think about... Um, the response to the um, series or the, the, uh, what seems to be an increasing number of so-called terrorist events which are often about um, people going through a range of uh, uh, mental health and other uh, social and, 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 and other kinds of difficulties, expressing that in a public space mm. um, and in a public space that um, uh, can I guess either call attention to something or can um, be seen to endanger people or can actually endanger people um, something that 
has been a big conversation in, in Melbourne and also here has been what do you do in a public space when you don't want someone to, you know, ram a car through it, for example, and there were those big temporary bollards that were put up in a, a number of different places um, with councils and others sort of rushing to say, look, that's temporary until, until we've thought of something else. Uh, because the, you know, the, the, the openness of, of the public space is very important. But at that time, I think it was about the middle of um, last year, the middle of 2017, um, the Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull said that, well, actually what we need to do is rethink how public space is designed. And that I found extremely alarming because public space uh, well, you know, by definition, public space is space that is not programmed for one particular thing. It's where an unexpected encounter can happen. And That's it right. might be a private space. It might actually be space that is, you know, run and regulated by um, a shopping centre or shopping precinct, or it might be uh, public transport, um, or it might be, you know, a, a range of... It, it could be just a, you know, a corporate space that's an underpass between two buildings. Mm. But to then say that there are political reasons why we should rethink the design of public space in order to constrain it seems very misguided to me. Yeah, I mean, I think there is already layers of... Uh, public space is already politicised anyway. So, I mean, there's already there's so many layers... Of, in terms of local and then state and then like you've said federal government can get involved in it as well but so there is already a lot of negotiation already and there's always this interesting dialogue between private semi-private and public space around for instance when a developer develops a site that was previously say residential but it becomes a large-scale commercial or large-scale residential tower there's suddenly then a demand for public space as part of the development and what's interesting is that previously private domain then becomes semi-public, uh, and it's an interesting discussion around that in relation to the bollards and the way in which that's protected or not. Uh, when there's residents who want to control that space because they're overlooking it, but yet it's actually a thoroughfare to a new subway line, for instance, or metro connection or whatever it may be. So I think there's a there's a constant navigation that has to happen and I think it's important that artists and creative practitioners are constantly pushing into that dialogue and having agency in that because I think we have a potential to really offer some really interesting foresight and perspective in relation to that and it should be something that we have control over as much as the developers and the politicians and 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 residents and we, we should be able to be in that dialogue probably less about control, probably more about um, be part of that dialogue. Because I think there's often a, a shunning away from creative practice and artists in, in relation to those sort of discussions. And I think oh, completely. it brings up that whole agency and, this, and artists as stakeholders, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's the... When I think about the reasons why decision makers would avoid involving artists, I mean, there's partly, I think... Um, that sense of, oh, we don't necessarily want to be threatened by ideas. But then on the other hand, maybe it's also um, uh, that there's this perception that the artistic thought process might be something that decision makers don't want to engage with. Yeah, I think that's true. It's like there's definitely, um, there's definitely a, a maybe it's not just fear but can come sometimes eventuate as fear but there's also moments where uh, there's no doubt that there's like a 
a sort of nervousness around that potentially unknown um, but in a way I think all artists are pretty have a re- pretty good level-headed perspective and their practice no matter where it sits is has an active connection or agency in culture and in wherever they whichever context they work within so there's an there's an inherent um, perspective no matter what practice happens that I think is always something that we should hold up as something that's really relevant. Yeah, and I think in this instance in particular we think about best practice for um, the way that public art is is uh, planned, commissioned, the entire process. Um, it's one of those rare situations where you've got a range of different disciplines who should be coming together having a conversation. So you've got um, a developer, you've got council, uh, there are people on either end of those who are assessing against different kinds of risks, different kinds of commercial interests, then you've got um, uh, potentially either a, a consultant or a gallery who's working as a conduit between the artist uh, and the decision maker, and then of course there's the artist. Mm. Hopefully then there's also uh, a sense of the community and who the immediate kinds of um, uh, decision makers or, or stakeholders are. But I can imagine that that would either be a situation of deeply, richly interesting conversations or a great deal of frustration. Ah, uh, yeah, can, it's, I think you need uh, to build up a certain resilience <laughs> in negotiating those discussions. And I think, um, I think being positioned and, and clear in relation to what it is that your, either your work is about or whatever the position is that you feel is important in relation to that public domain if we're talking in that context I think those things are always important to hold on to and um, and that's probably the the best um, strategy and then honesty in relation to that I think is just being really upfront about whatever is happening through the process because I think in the end of the day those negotiations if you're really upfront and clear and positioned in relation to what you think needs to happen but also able to negotiate and compromise because essentially there's compromise within all of this context and I think it's about being uh, agile with it rather than seeing that compromise is something that is going to diminish the work you need to be agile enough that you can then work around it and see opportunity around it because I think that's probably one of the more difficult things as an artist navigating this sort of domain is that there's just inevitably um, quite a bit you have to shift and change and that agility is can be really unsettling initially because you're really like, oh, I have this very clear intent and then they go back, no, there's no way the drainage is going to destroy that. And you're like, what, a drainage? I haven't even thought about drainage. Or, you know, you might have thought about the climbing or the other safety issues but there'll be something that you probably haven't totally considered <laughs> until the other consultants get on board so I think it's about just being able to work through those but still uh, feeling positioned and um, holding on things that you feel like are shifting the work too much and then sort of holding that I suppose. I think that's a really good point Chris I mean we were talking earlier about um, the emergence of public art as a relatively new concept um it's really you know boomed in the last 20 years um and even more so in the last five to ten um and amongst that what i've noticed is a real fumbling on both sides um between um commissioners and artists of trying to without making time to have that conversation that you mentioned esther um just trying to figure it out without making allowing time for 
um, I guess, um, an understanding of language, you know, regulation language, conceptual language, um, and practical language. Um, and yeah, so there, there are, um, there is confusion and it's something we do need to have a conversation between um, councils, developers, fabricators, designers, engineers and artists and bring everybody together to um, to really resolve some of that mystery. Yeah, I mean I think, but it's also important to know as working within this realm is that there is a vast amount of skills across that whole mm. Uh, sector and there's very particular consultants who have a very particular role and so I think as the artist it's important that you sort of try not to take on all that either it's about just pushing forward with what it is that your intent is and then you'll get the responses back from Mm. those teams and then it's just about navigating that like I was saying being agile with it but I think and yeah through the process you develop more understanding of those particular um, requirements and so on but uh, it's it's important, I think, that the um, creative out the, the creative process, or I should say, versus just leading to the output, that that has uh, is paramount, and that's that has precedent. So therefore, it's important that you push that forward, and then the other stuff will sort of move around it. I think rather than feeling like, oh God, I have to get across the BCA or whatever the particular code is. It's like, I don't even know what all this information is and all public, all that information is seems massively daunting. But um, all of these projects are set up that there's consultants that will make sure that happens anyway, because it's a requirement. So if you just sort of hold on to what it is and just get that feedback, then that hopefully will just resolve itself. Yeah. And you sort of, you'll get, You'll, you'll just need to question those particular changes or requirements or whatever when they come up and then you do the research and check and say, oh, but can't we do this and this? Because yeah. so, I think there's just so much information to get across that mm. it's better to just be sort of focused on your project and then and sort of uh, <clears throat> to deal with things as they come up. Yeah, and I guess it's important both for the artist but also for the commissioner to have confidence in... Um, and um, and let go of the fear of asking those kind of questions and approaching um, approaching a concept with intention. This is what I want to do, and then work, working out how to do it rather than. Uh, and I think what happens um, we I talked before about mystery, but I think it, it's not actually mystery. It's fear that um, you know there's a perception that artists are flaky and they don't want to engage so there's is a barrier to get to artists and then on the other side sometimes artists um, don't have the confidence to um, to stand up and say this is this is what we need to do this is what I want to do how do we do that um, yeah push back yeah 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 uh, yeah no because it is negotiate yeah also because it's different territory too mm. it's not um, when you're dealing with a high powered developer who's in the boardroom mm. who's, whose context is that every day yeah. it's, that's quite a tough thing to get used to mm. um, and so there's yeah there's definitely that resilience thing I think comes in but the resilience is also as much about um, just like I said being up front and holding the holding on certain things that you need to hold on to and if anything I think if you can set up a relationship with whoever's commissioning the public work is that they have respect for you they have um, 
they let you develop your own process without too much in interrogation through the whole process because that can be really suffocating. Um, but also in enough conversation with you that you can sort of along the way say, oh, look, this is, I'm, I'm confused about this thing. What's the, do we need structural consultants for this or whatever the particular bit are they saying that, you know, oh, have you thought about wind loading? You're like, no. Yeah. And then you have to, you have to get someone else to help you on that. So I think it's a, it's a, and that's changes per project, obviously, because it's about relationships and, um, it's trying to foster that pretty early on in the project and if you can get a good relationship to whoever's commissioning the work um, and that there's a dialogue then that stuff will resolve itself because it's just it's like any of those negotiations it's just about keeping that dialogue open yeah, yeah. and there's that negotiation in, in, in the sense of like what you're negotiating in order to make the work possible at all yeah. and then there's that those conversations as what feeds your practice and your process and 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 what um, potentially deepens that sense of um, you know the the issues to take into consideration or or I guess even different elements of what it means to make work in a public space the times when you felt like um, like clearly there have been times when those conversations are just you know they take time and they're frustrating but yeah. at, at the times when you felt like yeah okay I think that's just that's just added another string to my bow uh, yeah I mean I think so I mean it just changes a lot like some meetings it just some meetings you can present like a very like intimate part of the, like you're quite nervous about it because you haven't really totally resolved certain things and half the room are just like on their laptops not even <laughs> just like oh my god I'm Thanks. sharing my life here um, <laughs> but uh, yeah I think it just sort of yeah, you do build up that um, experience, I suppose, yeah. if, if that's what you referred to in terms of that. Um, and every project, you start to you build that that sort of way of dealing with certain things that come up. Um, and I think it's super important most that you have your own team in whatever that might be. If there's just someone else who's helping you with drawing the doing the catting or the whatever that you have to do in terms of getting the construction drawings done it's good that you can sort of foster that relationship firstly i think and then tr try and get a relationship with an engineer um and then off on from that so now i've over the years i've fostered sort of a fabricator and a engineer and, and, and people who help me doing the sort of more sophisticated um fabrication drawings and so on uh and that sort of becomes the team that sort of supports you through that because it is there's a lot of stuff going on and you need to free up your time and uh, mental capacity to sort of keep level-headed and see where it's moving and is the project still <laughs> as you initially draw a thought of it or drew it and so um, that's the one thing I sort of learned that that having that team because when the project manager or whoever's managing the project or the other another client gets involved or that stuff changes all the time during that and they can just come in and want to slice the project up or do something and it's good if you have a sort of support network that's mm. going to help you with that and you only need a couple of people really um but and particularly like i said the an engineers and and there's great engineers out there who 
are quite sensitive to working with artists and um, you know, nearly every project in a public domain would need some sort of engineering certification. So if you can get that connection started, um, that can go a long way, I think. Let's talk a bit about that, that team and I guess what it means for um, your process and, and how you make works. I think there's, you know, we can have um, in the visual arts more broadly, you can have this very misleading kind of heroic sense that a single work of art is created and envisioned by a single person and there is a vision and then it is created and we see it in a gallery or we see it in the public space. But this kind of work, that that tension, that negotiation, that sort of talking through, that kind of testing and, and, and rethinking, and then also um, uh, in your work and your training as an architect, working in uh, studio uh, teaching, working with students who you also then kind of fold into um, your thinking and test their thinking. Um, this is, um, I'm fascinated to know just in the way that you go about conceiving of a work and, and developing a work, just how important is it to be tested by so many different kinds of thinkers, you know, so, so many different approaches? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, is quite, I find that quite exciting in the process because um, once you sort of uh, start to develop from the initial concept, so they're, they're still at at its origin there still needs to be at least some proposal generally these uh, public domain works generally are require a proposal which is either a visualization or a sketch or you know a statement generally there's some visualizing of it so from that so that needs to be developed from initially and usually that's for my for myself or maybe one other person working with me but once then the project gets momentum and then if you can win it then what ends up happening is that that even those first conversations like I mentioned in relation to working with an engineer that will just <laughs> often just change the project like no there's no way we can build that you're like oh <laughs> okay fine and so then already off the bat then you need to sort of rethink oh okay that's a totally different scale or size or uh, material or whatever that is but then I think um when you move along through the process so a good example was with the interlude project for Winyard was that just when we were about to start to fabricate under a really quite tight time pressure um, they told us that we had only 48 hours to install the work not two weeks um, which was previously that, that, that in the contract hilarious. yeah I know. <laughs> just, oh they're like 48 hours it's like it's almost a week i'm like what are you talking about <laughs> so that meant the entire project had to change and we were literally just about to order material um, so previously it was a steel tube that had a whole lot of elements that were attached to it. So we had to rethink that because that would have taken at least a week to install, even if we did night shifts, because um, they allow for sort of two weeks of day shifts on that. Um, so it turned out that we ended up having to build this sort of fully, a fully fabricated aluminium accordion sort of chassis. Um, which meant that the whole process changed. We had to redesign it, had to get another whole team of engineers who were specialists in that. Um, and we had to shift, had to go look at other fabrication processes and that stuff was incredibly stressful. Um, but even at that point, the project changed quite a bit in terms of the finish and how we're gonna uh, deliver it. And it meant, I think in the end, a much better outcome. Um, and I think those sort of, 
moments incredibly difficult and quite stressful when things are changing so dramatically so quickly and there's also that massive time pressure because they're often linked to in this case the opening of uh, the upgrade of Wynyard Station and we had to renegotiate when that would happen and had to shut down the trains and particular night you know there's a huge amount of stuff at stake um, so that meant that that stuff was very uh, acute that the sort of pressures around it but um, I think those parts of the project actually I find enrich it because there's all that navigation that then everyone's sort of invested in it um, and trying to deliver the project and so obviously the responsibility comes back to me in the end and sort of my insurances and so on which is a big part of this whole domain is that you need to sort of set up enough insurance to cover yourself for all this stuff but Principally, everyone, once they're on board, they, everyone is trying to deliver it and get it done. So everyone's really on your team, even the client. They're, once they've started the process, it's generally they're just trying to make it happen. So um, that sort of is a really interesting process and, and how the outcome is delivered from the original origin and through that process is often, there's often a big shift, but it's just about how how you navigate that as a as an artist like how does that sit in relation to your first thing is and that's yeah some projects don't go as well as others really and the way you negotiate how that sits like the the, the urgency of that and when such big changes <laughs> big expectations arrive at your yeah. different times um that is something that you know again bring it back to your process and that sense of flow when you mentioned that word earlier your eyes kind of lit up about you know this is what we look for in yeah. life this is why we make work this is why we enjoy responding to work that's important to us yeah uh, and the the kind of project arc the sort of process of producing um, for creating and, and, uh, and then uh, producing and seeing installed the work that you do lends itself to all sorts of I mean, it's a it's a roller coaster I imagine how do you kind of protect that space for yourself to do the things that for you make that flow in your practice do you mm. feel like you're reflectively conscious of that is it something that arrives at you and then you love it and you you, you draw it out how does that work for you uh, I think it's a probably uh, probably more cosmic thing around this idea and when I talk about flow it's just a generally around trying to find the thing in your life that you have full engagement and it, it tests you completely and you have an understanding of parts but but it, you're in in yourself totally when you're doing that particular thing and I suppose uh, it's taken me a while to find that and um, but I think these larger scale public domain projects which are really complicated I really um, thrive off that and that and it's just it's just about navigating that and I think every practitioner is going to have a different flow in whatever it is if it's in the particular process in the studio if it's in the collaborative process in terms of performative work or there's many different modes of practice and I suppose it's just trying to find that flow, which I think we all are trying to do as artists um, and and everyone, really. And you can see that across all sorts of disciplines about um, when you see work or projects or text or whatever it might be that is actually really, flow, really um, 
has huge impact or has a has a wonderful sort of um, yeah I don't know just distillation I'm not sure what, it, it changes per practice but I think that comes back to that idea that you're supporting that area in your practice that you enjoy the most Selby had that look on her face like this is why we do what we do it is <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is. yeah, yeah. it totally is it's been so fantastic to get to talk to you. It's um, this is something that we're going to be talking about a lot, not just you know lately and kind of now, but um, there are a lot of like really big, interesting public art uh, commission opportunities coming up both in Sydney and in Melbourne around transport. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think um, you know if we can take the prime minister's word at the more inspirational uh, kind of aspect in the design of public space in the future, and so we're going to be really concerned to see how artists are commissioned, how those processes work, and that, you know, we have uh, art and work in public spaces. Um, yeah, that um, is, is truly, what do we say, mysterious, otherworldly, and, and inspirational. So, Chris Fox, thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. Head to our website, visualarts.net.au, for more information on NAVA's advocacy and campaigns for improving the working environment for Australian artists and arts organisations.